And you move to that place of connection, that deep and intimate and sacred place, a place that is holy and beyond words, and hearts and souls were meeting together as the Lord gently drew you into that deeper place with Him. And in so doing, He would refine you and shape you and give you a heart passion for Himself. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Today our scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 1, so if you have your Bible with you this morning, can you turn with me to Mark chapter 1 as we're reading from verses 35 to 39, and you'll find it on page 1553-1553 of the church Bible. And today we're looking at Jesus and the indispensable nature of prayer and why it's crucial and essential as we grow and mature in our faith. So Mark chapter 1 at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Over the last five or six weeks, I have been on a combination of vacation and sabbatical leave, and I am delighted to be back this morning. Not a Sunday morning went past when I wasn't looking at my watch at 8.30, then again at 10.45, and some mornings at 11, I sat back towards the back of the church and enjoyed thoroughly my esteemed colleagues and their ministry. We are blessed with a good staff. But I also want to begin with an apology, and I want to apologize because over the last five or six weeks, you have had to get used to having a southern accent in the pulpit, and I'm sorry for that. So today and over the next few weeks, I will try and ease you back into a rather strange accent. And my other apology is more of a confession, because given that we're in the middle of August and September is coming, I was tempted this morning to wear my seersucker kilt, and you would be glad I didn't, so that's a mercy for both of us. It is good to be back, and thank you uh, for warm wishes and cards and notes and emails while I was off. This week, our children and our grandchildren, of course, are getting back to school some of them going for the first time, some of them going up to middle school for the first time, and high school, and others going off to college. And if you could get just five minutes with each of the children or grandchildren, and you wanted to tell them something that would really impact them, captivate their imagination, and hold them, what advice would you give them? what would you say? Would it be as simple as, 
be in time for class, listen to your professors, hand in your papers when you need to, study hard. Those the kinds of pieces of advice you might give? Hold that question in your mind, we'll come back to it later. But let me take it a little further and deeper. Summer is almost behind us. Most of us are getting back to routine and scheduling. Piano lessons for children and grandchildren. Soccer practice. And in the midst of all of the busyness, if the Lord wanted just five minutes with you to say to you, sit down for a moment, what would he say directly to you in your own situation this morning? What would his first words be? What is your greatest need this morning as you seek to grow and develop in your faith? What would he say? And what would you say in return? Now, hold that thought, and we'll come back to that later as well. Now, today as we come to Mark chapter 1, one of the things we do on a Sunday morning here at First Pres is whenever we open up the Scriptures, we're always asking the same question right at the beginning of any of our Bible studies. And the question is always this, what is the context for the passage we are studying because we're convinced that a text without a context is a pretext. And so, you've got to understand the context. Now, if you have your Bible open at Mark chapter 1, hold it there for a second, and if you can see Mark chapter 1 verse 1, you may have to flick back a page, but if you can see it, look at the opening words of Mark's gospel, because Mark gives us the context for the rest of his gospel. And he begins Mark 1 verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, let me get you to pause right there. And the question is this. If Mark is writing to a group of Christians living at the heart of the Roman Empire in the city of Rome in the first century, why does he begin his gospel this way? In the beginning well, actually, he doesn't see that, does he? That's another book of the Bible that starts in the beginning. But here is Mark echoing what was written in Genesis, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he quite intentionally structures his opening language to reflect Genesis because what he's saying to his readers back in the first century is this, that what you're about to be exposed to, what you're about to read is so dynamic, so utterly captivating. It's like going back to those early moments in Genesis when God created. And here is God creating a gospel that will transform and renew and refresh the heart and soul of humanity. That's what Mark is saying in these opening words. 
the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And when he uses that word gospel, again, it's quite intentional. The word gospel, we know, of course, euangelion in its Greek form. It means simply good news. And Mark is saying what is coming is spectacular news. It's wonderful news. But he's also saying this, because if you lived at the heart of the empire in the first century, you would know that when Caesar Augustus was born, his biographer wrote these words, the gospel of the birth of Caesar Augustus. And the word gospel certainly means good news, but in antiquity it had a much wider sense, and it also meant this, an event that would change world history. So look at it again. He is saying the beginning. Genesis is the nearest comparison that I could get about an event that will change world history. And he has immediately captivated and arrested the attention of his early readers. And notice what he does next. He writes, A long time ago, in a country far, far away, lived three kings. He doesn't say that. Mark doesn't mention Bethlehem, or Mary, or Joseph, or the wise men, or Herod. The infancy narratives so familiar to us from Luke and Matthew are not in Mark. He doesn't mention them. So what does Mark do? Look at it again. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then verse 2, it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Why does he begin with Isaiah? For this reason. Again, historically, if you lived in Rome in the first century, and you wanted to know what was the best model for an empire, you would look back the way to the ancient Greeks. Because in Rome in the first century, if you brought out something new, you were kind of held at arm's length. The Romans were huge on history and ancestry and heritage. They wanted to know, had it been around for decades and centuries? And if it had, it had something to offer. And so they looked back the way. And what Mark is saying is this that what you're about to read in this gospel comes from eternity past, back to the days of Isaiah and then beyond, and the purposes and plans of God are coming to fruition right here in our day and age. That's what Mark was doing. That's why he begins the way he does. That's why context is so important. And then finally, before we come to our passage, one more thought. If you have your Bible and you can see chapter 1, hold it at arm's length and choir. This is kind of difficult for you guys up here. But what you discover is this. That it begins Mark 1 verse 1. John the Baptist prepares the way. 
Then at verse 9, the baptism and temptation of Jesus. Then at verse 14, the calling of the first disciples. Then at verse 21, Jesus drives out an evil spirit. Then at verse 29, Jesus heals many. Then at verse 35, very early in the morning, where he prays in a solitary place. Then verse 41 or 40, a man with leprosy. There are six or seven major episodes in Mark's opening chapter. Matthew and Luke take four chapters to what Mark squeezes in to chapter 1. New Testament scholars tell us this, that Mark's favorite words are, and then, and immediately. It is one breathtaking event after another, after another, after another in Mark's gospel. You see it in these six or seven episodes already. And these six or seven episodes are a microcosm of Mark's entire gospel. In fact, Donald English, a New Testament scholar, said this of Mark's gospel. He said, Mark portrays Christ as an active, energetic, warring king, swiftly moving, a victor over the destructive forces of nature, demons, and death. And that's just chapter 1. Just chapter 1. So the question is this, as we now come to make our descent into the passage we read, why does Mark include these verses? After all of the spectacular things that have taken place in those early episodes, why does he add, and it seems fairly banal, that early in the morning Jesus got up, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. What is in there that is utterly unmissable? Why is it so important that Jesus got up early in the morning and prayed? Why is that of significance? It's the kind of thing we would quite naturally expect Jesus to do. So the question is, why is it there? Why is it the penultimate section in the opening chapter? Well, remember, context is king. This takes place in Capernaum. Capernaum was a sizable town, several thousand people. It was, as most of you know, on the major trade route north. It had a Roman garrison. It was a tax center. It was a major fishing port. Jesus spent most of his adult ministry in Capernaum, not Bethlehem, not Nazareth, but 60 miles north of Jerusalem on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. Simon Peter had a home there. In fact, if you go to Capernaum today, and you can, I was there back in March, as you go through the main gates and you wander over into one of the corners, there's a 5th century synagogue. It's something of a ruin today. The walls are still there, the columns there, there's, there's no roof. But you get a sense of what an early synagogue looked like. And that synagogue is on the site of the 1st century synagogue where Jesus taught. It's a remarkable thing to stand in Capernaum and think this is where his home was. He probably stood right here. And when you come out of the synagogue from here to the wall, where the wall is, is now a monument to Peter's first home. That's the traditional place for Peter's home. In fact, the verses immediately before this tell us this. 
that Jesus had been teaching in the synagogue all day, and after the sun went down, he went to Simon Peter's home. His mother was ill. He raised her back to good health, and then so many people came. In fact, Mark tells us the entire town, that's thousands of people, that he stayed up into the early hours preaching, teaching, conducting miracles. One miracle after another after another. And that gives us the context, and we begin to understand the significance very early in the morning. Now, here is why it's significant. That for most of us, when we have a busy day, and we've worked late into the night, into those early hours, the temptation is to say, oh, tomorrow morning, I'm going to lie in a little. All the pressure is off because you are probably emotionally, physically exhausted. And I imagine Jesus was exactly that, emotionally and physically exhausted after a long, long day of ministry. And Mark includes this passage for three reasons. Number one, he sought a secure, solitary place to pray, quite intentionally. Number two, when Jesus went to that solitary place to pray, it had such an impact on Mark and the other apostles that it's recorded here for us. And number three, and this is the one I need you to get, that when Jesus was running the risk of exhausting his energies and losing his perspective, he needed to spend time with his Father. Now, let me say that again, and if you're taking notes this morning, get it down, please. When Jesus begins to sense that he's running the risk of exhausting his energies and losing his perspective, he reconnects with his Father. That's why it's important. That's why Mark puts it right in here. Because I suspect for many of us, our lives are so busy that we are probably overtired, overwhelmed, overscheduled, and we have very little time for prayer and the heart and soul within us. We run from one thing to another, to another, to another. You heard me talking about it earlier. If we're not dropping off children for soccer practice, it's music lessons. If it's not music lessons, it's gymnastic class. If it's not gym class, it's then uh, football practice or baseball or 101 other things. As parents or grandparents, we end up becoming professional chauffeurs, dropping our children off here, there, and the other. And we somehow confuse activity and busyness with spirituality. When was the last time you sought for yourself a solitary place where you prayed? Just prayed. Open up your Bible, read a verse or two of Scripture, feed your heart and soul, and then begin to talk to the Lord challenges and difficulties you're facing, things you're struggling with, a difficulty at work, problem with a child or a grandchild, tension in marriage. Just you and the Lord. 
And you move to that place of connection, that deepened, intimate, and sacred place, a place that is holy and beyond words, and hearts and souls were meeting together as the Lord gently drew you into that deeper place with Him. And in so doing, He would refine you and shape you and give you a heart passion for Himself. When was the last time? When you run the risk of being emotionally spent and overwhelmed and overscheduled and overtired, it may well be this morning that the Lord, if He was speaking to you and looking at you face to face, would say, I miss my time with you. I'm grieving over it. I miss you. Come back. Spend time with me. Be intentional about it. Become again that man or woman of prayer you used to be. That's why Mark has it here. That's why it's crucial. That's why it's so important. Very early in the morning, he got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you were in a solitary place? Because today, living in a 21st century environment, we have access to a digital playground. And the culture tells us this, that value and worth is determined by how connected you are to your cell phone and to email and Facebook and Twitter. That's where value and worth is gained in a 21st century setting. And Jesus says the opposite. Value and worth is found in me. That's where you're renewed. That's where you're refreshed. In that place of holiness that place where passion is birthed, that place where prayer becomes real, that place of refreshment and renewal. In about five or six weeks' time, September 11, I think it is, so maybe nearer four weeks, we begin a new series of studies on a Sunday morning looking at the New Testament book of Philippians. We're doing that quite intentionally because from September 11 on, you'll hear again and again on a Sunday and during the week, you'll begin to hear more and more about our strategic plan. Over the last two or two and a half, almost three years now, as elders, deacons, church leadership, we have been looking at what is God's vision for First Press for the next five years? What is He calling us too. And that's where we'll be going. And in the midst of all of that, I hear folks talking about uh, the greatest need in our church is for leadership. And I have to confess, there is no substitute for leadership. But I'm not convinced that's our greatest need. It's not our greatest need for this reason. Because as I engage with elders pastoral staff, music and worship leaders, our admin and support staff, our choir, our Sunday school teachers, 
or ladies' ministry or men's ministry, I have to say this. Greatest need is not for great leaders. We have great leaders. We have outstanding leaders. We have people who have an embarrassment of talent. We really have an outstanding congregation. But our greatest single need is to be men and women of prayer. Men and women who know and have experienced those sacred moments with God Himself. Men and women great in holiness, great in commitment, great in perseverance, great in faithfulness, great in communing with the living God. That's our greatest need. And not just for First Pres, but for churches across our nation. Men and women of prayer. E.M. Bounds, in a classic book, and I've shared this with you before, so please forgive me if it's a little repetitive, he writes this, what the church needs today is not so much new methods of ministry, new ideas, and new concepts, but men and women of prayer. He goes on to write, the Holy Spirit will not anoint methods or concepts, but He anoints men and women of prayer. And finally, He says this, no communication skills, no dynamic approaches, no use of humor can ever or will ever make up for men and women of prayer. That's why Mark models for us genuine, authentic, heartfelt prayer. Let us pray. Father, we ask this morning, and in the course of this week, you would convict each one of us of the necessity for prayer in our own lives. Father, help us please to find that solitary place where we engage with you, the living God. Father, shape us and fashion us. Enable us, please, to be the people of God who delight and are passionate about prayer. Speak to us. Refine us. Enable us, please, to be the people you've called us to be. A people whose dreams are greater than our memories. Father, hear our prayers as we bring them to you in and through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Join us Sunday, August 28th at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville for a missions conference weekend. Reverend Ryan Vandalin, a missionary from the Dominican Republic, will preach at all worship services. During the Sunday school hour, Marilyn Borst will present an update on relief efforts in Iraq and Syria. The Revelation Maranatha Band will lead worship at the Ignite service and again at a special dinner catered by Tropical Grill. More details at firstpressgreenville.org.
Hargrove, and I'm the Ignite Worship Service Pastor here at First Presbyterian Church. And at Ignite, we like to do four things. We call them the four C's. One, we want to be Christ-centered and Christ-focused. Secondly, we want to build community. That means we connect with each other in the service as well as outside the service. Third, we want to celebrate what God is doing among us. And fourth, we want to be connectional, connecting the Bible to everyday life as we go live, work, play, and stay in this community. So come at 1045 on Sundays to experience at night and see what God is doing with and among us.